So, Father, we thank you that you are there, and we thank you that you are the perfect father. A lot of fathers in this room, a lot of grandfathers in this room. Uh, But all the fathers and grandfathers in this room are flawed. We're all flawed. We, We do the best we can do, and that, quite frankly, isn't good enough. We have blind spots. We say things and then we regret that we, we have said them. We wish we could take things back and we can't. That's why, Lord, we are so amazed by your grace and so grateful for your grace. Uh, we can never... Well, well, we'll just never see it run out. It just keeps coming. Like Niagara Falls, it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. So we can always come to you. And Lord, there are times when we get weary, and there are times we get tired, and there are times that uh, we get beat up. And sometimes we wonder um, where this abundant life is, because we're not really, quite frankly, we're not enjoying it all that much. That's, that's just the truth sometimes. Um, so we come back to you and when we come back to you we get our perspective when we come back to you we're reminded of your promises and when we come back to you we're, we're reminded that um, that it's going to be hard here at times but one day one day we're going to be promoted and, and one day uh, these afflictions will be over and the hardship will be over and the tough relationships will be over And the disappointments of our life, many of which we have brought upon ourselves, those will be over as well. And uh, there will be harmony and there will be peace and there will be fellowship and we will be in your presence. And we're we're not going to be floating on clouds and and strumming harps because you wouldn't do that to us. you've You've got things prepared for us that we can't even assimilate. So in the interim, we trust you, and we thank you that you're growing us up, and we thank you that you're active and that you're working in our lives. We ask tonight, Lord, that, uh, that uh, as each guy comes with different uh, needs and with different, uh, a different context, we're dealing with different stuff. It's just the way it works. But you are the one who is sufficient for us, and your word is sufficient. So I ask that tonight your spirit would work in a very unique way, um, for each guy, for, uh, for each need, uh, for, each, uh, for each hurt, uh, for, for each fear that, uh, that is carried here tonight. Remind us that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but that of power and of love and sound judgment, sound thinking. So we would ask tonight that you would help us to think clearly and soundly as we interact with truth, and may we apply it, not just hear it and then walk out of here and then jump back in and forget, but may we take it with us and chew on it and ponder it. May it be a refreshment to us. And we'd ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been talking a lot about the providence of God. Because when you look at the life of Joseph, you can't help but talk about the providence of God. Um, 
If you study the book of Esther, did you know that the name of God is nowhere to be found in the book of Esther? But the fingerprints of God are all over that book. Um, the, the providence of God is very simply this, and it is a, in, in, in our day and age, it is a forgotten doctrine. It is a, um, <coughs> excuse me, it is a doctrine that has been put on the ash heap. And it, that is really tragic because uh, the, the providence of God will keep you going. The, the providence of God um, will give you massive doses of encouragement when somebody pulls the drain plug on your crankcase of encouragement. You know, you pull in the Jiffy Lube, and they got those guys underneath. And uh, in fact, my son used to work at one of those places. And about once a month, he'd tell me, yeah, it was really funny today, Dad. It was really funny because we had a guy uh, um, come in, and we uh, drained his oil, and then uh, he drove off, and we forgot to put oil in. Now, if you own a Jiffy Lube franchise, you're really sorry I told that story. <laughs> well, that happens sometimes in life. You're cruising along, and uh, you're just driving through life, and somebody reaches under there, that crankcase, and pulls the drain plug on your encouragement. And then you've got to keep driving. It's kind of hard to drive when they take away your encouragement. Uh, when, 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 they, when they drain your courage, that's discouragement. And so what we need is we need, need someone to put courage in. The doctrine of providence always puts courage into our lives. Basically, the doctrine of providence is that what God creates, God sustains. What God um, creates, God provides for. We're going somewhere. We are headed to heaven. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. This is John 10. And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. We're going. Those of us who have trusted in Christ, alone in Christ, and we, are, we have trusted him to take away our sins, and we have embraced him. And we are asking him to lead us and to navigate us through life. We have given up trying to run our own lives, you see. So we ask him to lead us. We ask him to be our shepherd, as Psalm 23 says. Well, we're going somewhere. And he's the one that's going to get us there. Now, here's the deal. When we come to Christ, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works. You can't light enough candles to have God forgive you. You can't, um, you can't give enough blood to the Red Cross. You can't, can't write enough checks to disaster victims. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that any man should boast. So we're saved by grace. And then it goes on and says, for we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, not good works to be saved, you've already been saved, 
But after you're saved, now you can reach your potential. This isn't some Tony Robbins thing. This is something that God has ordained. He, he, he gave you physical life, then he gave you spiritual life because he wants to use you in a unique way. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, before you were ever born, that you might walk in them. That's the story of Joseph in a nutshell. Joseph was his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The good works that God had for Joseph to do, uh, where were they to take place? It's not a trick question. Egypt. Was Joseph born in Egypt? Was he raised in Egypt? No. So something had to happen to get him to Egypt. What happened wasn't what he would have chosen to have happened. But it's what happened. Uh, Joseph was his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works in Egypt, which God prepared beforehand, before Joseph was ever born, that Joseph might walk in them. Now you stand back, and we know the story of Joseph, and it's an amazing story. But the fact of the matter is, God created Joseph in order for Joseph to get to the position that God had for him, God was going to have to provide for Joseph every day of his life. I mentioned in here a few weeks ago, the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Uh, o God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided, or thy hand hath providenced. See, when we say that what God creates, he sustains, you could say what God creates, he provides for. The, the providence of God is tied up with the provision of God. So God gives us what we need when we need it to accomplish the work and to get us to the place that he has called us to be. And so that encompasses everything that occurs uh, in our lives, everything. And the thing about God is, is that God can be confusing, and God can throw us major curveballs. You guys know I quote a lot from Thomas Watson. Um, he's written some great books. Uh, he has a, a book out. Uh, this book was written 320 years ago. This book is called uh, A Body of Divinity, and it's, a, it's basically a systematic theology. And he has a section in here on providence. And basically what he's doing in this thing, he is, it's, a, it's kind of a workbook off the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys got together in England at Westminster, and they kind of hammered out, here's what we believe and here's what we don't believe. Now that's happened down throughout the church to clarify certain issues when heresies would come up. You had all the church councils. So... He's kind of going through the Westminster Confession of Faith, and when he gets to the providence of God, and then there'll be a question, and he'll reply. And then he says, Some say there are many things done in the world which are very disorderly and irregular, and surely God's providence is not in these things. You ever feel that way? When life gets disorderly and life gets irregular, well, where's the providence of God there? Watson says, suppose you were in a smith's 
shop. Were you in there today? There aren't many blacksmiths around anymore or a coppersmith, but you know what those are about. Suppose you were in a smith's shop and should see there several sorts of tools, some crooked, some bowed, some hooked. Would you condemn all these things because they do not look handsome? The smith makes use of them all for doing his work. Thus it is with the providences of God. They seem to us to be very crooked and strange, yet they all carry on God's work. In other words, in the providence of God, God has different tools. Some are straight, some are crooked, some are bowed, some are hooked. And just to look at him, you know, well, how, what would he ever use? He uses those all the time in our lives. Um. When you really study providence in the scripture, you, you come across what we would call cross-providences. You say, what's that? Well, the best way to explain a cross-providence is it, it looks to you like God has got his wires crossed. Because it's the exact opposite of the way it ought to be. You ever hooked up a battery? You ever trying to jumpstart a battery and you hook it up wrong? That can be real interesting. Well, sometimes in our lives... We look around and it looks to me like God put negative on positive and positive on negative. And you got sparks flying, you got all kinds of bad stuff happening. But even those are what we would call the cross providences of God. Listen to Watson, one more shot. He says, God is to be trusted when his providences seem to run contrary to his promises. One more time. You guys caffeinated? Can you think clearly? You got to catch this. God is to be trusted when his providences seem to run contrary to his promises. God promised to give David the crown to make him king, but providence ran contrary to his promise. David was pursued by Saul and was in danger of his life, but in all this, it was David's duty to trust God. So what's the promise? Samuel, you're going to be the king. And so then what happens? He's on the run for how many next years of his life? Every day, trying to stay alive because Saul's trying to kill him. That went on for years and years and years. Because, see, sometimes, see, that's a cross-providence. The providence that he's in, the provision, seems to run contrary to the promise. You're going to be the king. Well, then why the heck am I running for my life and hiding out in this cave? He says, pray, observe. That's how they talked 300 years ago. Pray, observe, that the Lord, by cross providences, often brings to pass his promise. God promised Paul the lives of all that were with him in the ship. You remember that at the end of Acts? He's on his way up to Rome, and they're in the Mediterranean, and they hit that big wind and that big storm, and, and, and things are going badly. And the Lord says to Paul, listen, everybody's going to live. Okay, great. God promised Paul the lives of all that were with him in the ship. But the providence of God seemed to run quite contrary to his promise. For the winds blew, the ship split, and broke into pieces. Thus God fulfilled his promise. Upon the broken pieces of the ship, they all came safe to shore. Huh. Trust God when providences seem to run quite contrary to promises. Because at some point in your life, you're going to run into this. You read the promises of God, and you get excited about the promises of God. 
But the, the place where you are, it seems like God has his wires crossed because, well, I'm going to deliver it. Everyone on the ship's going to make it. Yeah, but he didn't tell you how they were going to make it. The ship's going to break up, and everyone's going to go floating in on, on pieces of plywood. That may not be what you had in mind. But did he promise your life would be saved? Yes, he did. And was your life saved? Yes. So what's the problem? Sometimes we read more into a promise than, that, than is actually there. God always delivers on his promises. Sometimes we get creative and we, um, uh, we add color to the promise. And we add detail to the promise that, quite frankly, uh, is not there. But God always comes through on his promise. In Genesis 37, as we go back a little bit in the life of Joseph, if you remember, one of the reasons that his brothers hated him, and there were several reasons that they hated him, one of the reasons that they hated his guts, um, not only did he bring a bad report to his father about them, because they were supposed to be working and they were, you know, you know, having a few beers and watching soap operas, and so he came back and told his dad. Uh, his dad gave him this very colored, multicolored tunic, and he didn't give the other guys one of these. Uh, verse 5 of 37, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream which I have had, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up, and also stood erect. You're, you know, sheaves. You guys ever seen sheaves? Do old Bible story books? You know, they'd, they'd, cut the, they'd cut the wheat, and then they'd bind it, and, you know, they'd tie it up, and they stand it up. I mean, today we got round bales. They didn't have that. They didn't have John Deere back then. So, you know, you'd, you'd knock some down, you'd take a handful, and you'd wrap those suckers up, and you'd stand them in the field, and you move on to the next one. That's a sheave, Okay? Uh, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and stood erect, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. That didn't sit real well with these guys. <laughs> then his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? I mean, they weren't stupid. Or are you, are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, lo, I had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? And the answer was yes. But it sure didn't seem that way for a real long time, did it? Uh, this was a dream that God gave him. This was a promise. He didn't ask for this. He didn't seek it. God gave it to him. But for the longest time, it must have seemed to Joseph as he went through difficulty after difficulty, uh, being sold into slavery, uh, then being thrown in the jail. When you know his life, it, it sure had to seem to Joseph that God has gotten, had gotten his wires crossed. No? No, Joseph was just in the middle of what we would call cross providences. You see, uh, was, was the promise going to come true? Yes. Could he have imagined how God would weave that 
in such a way so that that promise would come about. Not if he had a million years, because he, could he have thought about that? I love it in Ephesians where it says, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think. That's quite a statement. Because some of us have very good imaginations. Some of us are visionary. And, you know, we can, we can ask quite a bit and we can think. I mean, we can, we can really project out there. We can come up with some wild things. Now, to him who was able to do, not abundantly, but exceeding abundantly, beyond anything you could ever ask or think. We don't have a clue. But there will be a season in your life and in my life as there was a season in Joseph's life where he had to be thinking to himself, what happened? What happened? Uh, the wires got crossed. Well, we're coming into a section now where it's all coming clear. And it's a very, very emotional process for Joseph. You can imagine what he's been through. Uh, the pain and the hurt and the crushing that took place in this guy's life. Uh, it was A.W. Tozer who said, Before God will use a man greatly, he will hurt him deeply. <laughs> the reason I'm laughing, I remember having lunch with a friend of mine in Dallas. How old was I? I might have been 30. He was like 31 or 32. We'd gone to seminary together. We're having dinner and we're just talking. And he brought up that quote from Tozer. He said, you remember, you remember uh, Dr. Cook, what he said, Tozer said? I said, well, yeah, what was that? He said, before God can use the man greatly, he must hurt him deeply. I said, yeah, I'm not sure I buy that. That is really a stupid thing to say. Now, I don't know about being used greatly, but I was about to enter a very difficult time in my life. <laughs> but I was in the middle of a course called Stupidity 101, and uh, I'd been in that course for quite a while. So now we're in, uh, where, where are we? We were in 37, but I need to go somewhere else. I need to go to Genesis 42. In Genesis 42, now here's what's happened. Joseph is, uh, uh, Joseph is now the second most powerful guy. He's co-regent with Pharaoh. God's put him in this unbelievable position. Uh, the famine has hit. There's seven years of famine. And uh, his brothers show up. And we, we, when I was here two weeks ago, we, we, we got into this a little bit. And uh, his brothers show up. Now, he recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph. Um, chapter 42, Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, why are you staring at one another? That's a great line, isn't it? Behold, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down and buy some for us from that place that we may live and not die. The ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brothers Benjamin with the brothers, for he said, I'm afraid that harm may befall him. 
Jacob's, um, Jacob had these 12 boys by different wives. Uh, Jacob, in his youth, was a deceiver. If you remember the story of Jacob. You know, it's an interesting night tonight. We got a lot of calls coming in tonight. And yeah, don't you hate that when that happens? But it happens. Um, so Joseph, he's got all these brothers, and, and his dad Jacob, as a kid, was a deceiver. And if you remember what happened, he, uh, he uh, deceived his brother out of his birthright. And then later, with his mom's help, he deceived his dad and got the blessing. And so his brother hated his guts, so he had to run. And his mom said, hey, you go live with my in-laws for a while, just, just for a little bit. And he gets over there, and he, and, and he, and he, sees, uh, he sees Rachel, falls in love with her. And so he works, you know, Laban is her dad, and so they get married and all this, and you know, he's at the wedding, he starts knocking down Jack Daniels like it's Tylenol. And, uh, so Laban, uh, Jacob, the deceiver, is about to get, the con man is about to get conned. And so goes into bed and wakes up the next morning, and it's not Rachel, it's Leah. And Leah wasn't the one he wanted. Uh, Rachel was the homecoming queen, and Leah wasn't. But he's, he's been conned. So then he's got to stick around and work another seven years to get Rachel. So he's got these kids by uh, Rachel and Lee, and then by some handmaidens. Joseph and Benjamin are the sons that came from Rachel. Uh, Rachel was the love of his life. Rachel was the one he really wanted. And probably the reason he gave Joseph the tunic and all that, Joseph wasn't the oldest but in his mind, Joseph was the heir. He loved Joseph. Now, the other boy was Benjamin. So they got to go down and get some food. He sends them all down and he says, but don't take Benjamin because I can't afford to lose Benjamin. Because, see, he loved those two boys. He lost Joseph already, and now he can't afford. So he sends them all except Benjamin. But what happens is, is that they go, Joseph recognizes them, and now what's going to happen is, What's going to happen is Joseph is going to play hardball with these guys, not for revenge. But, but you see, here's what happens, guys, is that it says in 100, uh, Psalm 105 about Joseph and everything he went through, it says that God was testing him. God's always testing. He's always checking us out. He's always testing our obedience He's always testing our integrity. I was talking, I, I talked to somebody today who called me, and they, they had an interview for their dream job. Actually, their second dream job. They got a call this morning. They were there in the interview at 2 o'clock, and it was basically handed to them. And then... Um, file about that thick, and they were asked to fill it out for a background check. And this guy went ahead and said, let me go ahead and tell you something in my background. When I was 17, I did this. I don't know if that's in there or not, but I did this when I was 17, and I did it once. Is that in there? And the guy said, yeah, it's in there. 
He says, can I appeal it to a board? There's no process to do that. It's a great. Well, I didn't want to waste your time. Might as well cut to the chase. That's tough when it's your dream job. Um, now, let me tell you something about that dream job. That job, that wasn't the job that God had providenced for him to have. Was it? No. Um, you know what this was today? It was simply a test on the way to the dream job. And as I was talking to him, he said, you know, this is really hard for me because I feel like I'm really, 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 I'm really ready for this. And I said, well, you know what? I think you are ready, and you're even more ready now than you were this morning. Because this afternoon, you passed another test. You're getting closer. Before God promotes, God tests. So now, has Joseph been tested? Quite a bit. Now God is going to use Joseph, not to exact revenge on his brothers, but to test his brothers. Because his brothers have hardened hearts, and his brothers have um, consciences that are defiled, and they won't respond to the Lord. So here, here's, you know what we're going to do? We've we got we to kind of helicopter these next chapters because there's a lot of stuff here, and I don't want to go down verse by verse because it's just too much stuff. So we're going to kind of Reader's Digest condense this stuff. How many of you guys at home have Reader's Digest condensed, condensed books on your shelf? If you're an American, you have those. Okay. All right. So here's what happens. They show up and they see Joseph and he recognizes them. They don't recognize him. Um, and, and Joseph's going to tweak these guys a little bit to test them. If you look at uh, 42 verse um, 6, now Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. There it is. They actually bowed. Just as the dream, just as the promise was years and years and years ago. Uh, it happened. Could he have imagined what it would take for him to get to that point? Never could. And for a lot of us, that's where you are. You're right now in the middle of it. There's no way you don't see this being fulfilled. Well, God has his ways. Verse 9, uh, 8. Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them, and said to them, you are spies, you've come to look at the undefended parts of the land. And, and now he's going to tweak them. And they say, no, we're honest men. And this is what we covered last time. And basically, he started putting the squeeze on them. He put them in prison for three days. And then in verse 20, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back, and I want you to bring your youngest brother to me. Because he'd ask them some questions, and he knew they didn't have the youngest brother. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you go, but you go back and get your youngest brother so that your words may be verified and you will not die. 21, then they said to one another, truly we are guilty concerning our brother, Joseph. Because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet he, we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Reuben said to them, did I not tell you do not sin against the boy and you would not listen? Now comes the reckoning for his blood. Now God's at work in their lives. So then they take off. 
And what he does is, in 24, he takes Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So Simeon is going to be held by Joseph. they got to go back, get the youngest boy, Benjamin, who their dad won't let go, and bring him back to Joseph. But Joseph's not done tweaking them yet. 25. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money in a sack and to give them provisions for the journey. And thus it was done for them. So they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place. He saw his money, and behold, it was in the mouth of his sack. Then he said to his brothers, my money has been returned, and behold, it's even in my sack. And their hearts sank. I guess so. And they turned, catch this, trembling to one another, saying, what is this? that God has done to us. Now, these guys weren't the brightest lamps in the store, but they understood the providence of God. They said, what is this that God has done to us? So, in 29, what happens is they get home and they talk to their dad and they tell their dad what had happened. And he can't believe it. And they're telling him, you know... uh, you know, about what Joseph said to him and all this, and 36, and then that, hey, we got to bring, we got to bring uh, Benjamin back. 36, their father Jacob said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. That's an interesting phrase when he says, you have bereaved me of my children. It kind of makes you wonder if Joseph didn't have suspicions as to their story. Don't you think? I don't want to read too much into that, but he knew these guys. You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and now Simeon is no more. And you would take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, You may put my two sons to death if I do not bring them back to you. Put him in my care, I will turn him to you. Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead. He alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. In other words, there's no way you're taking Joseph. Uh, Benjamin, thanks. Um, Turn over to Genesis 22. Sometimes you you talk about cross-providences, and you talk about the tools in God's tool shed of providence. Some are hooked, some are bowed. You, you You want to see something crazy? You want to see something nuts? Now, this had to do with Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. What? This is what the pagan gods require. Child sacrifice was common among the pagan religions, but not of the one true God. Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. He split wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. 
On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there. Catch this. And we will worship and return to you. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if he ran it by Sarah or not. Quite frankly, uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, back then, um, you, know, you know what I want to say? I think he told her, but I don't think he asked her for permission. Uh, he wasn't a feminized man. He was a patriarch. By the way, I, I didn't have time to read this, but some liberal guy has published an article in some liberal journey about the need for a return to patriarchy in American society. Patriarchy is fatherhood. He said, enough. We're so far gone. You know anything that's going to save us? we got to get strong men back in the family. Imagine that. Imagine that. And all the feminists said, ah. <laughs> <laughs> As I've often said, there's nothing wrong with a feminist that a good man couldn't fix. <laughs> and that's a true statement, by the way. That is a true statement, because feminists are wounded women. They have been, uh, uh, they have been deeply hurt by a significant man in their life. That's why they're feminists. They just need a good man. That's what they need. Okay. Six, Abraham took the wood on the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac. This this is wild. Catch this. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, the father, and said, Now, how long? Hey, uh, this kid Isaac, he was pretty important to Abraham. He was was the the child of promise, but he doesn't show up. Uh, Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90. He's not going to give this kid up lightly. And so what does God say? I want you to take your kid and go sacrifice him. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? This is classic. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. They came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And he plunged the knife in Isaac's heart. And the Lord said, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's not quite what it says. Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Do not stretch out your hand against the land and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. What was God doing to this guy? He was testing him. He was testing him. 13, Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. He just happens to look up. 
And what's caught in the thicket? A ram, a sacrifice. Uh, the Lord, will, he called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, or the Lord will see to it. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. You know what Mount Moriah is? Mount Moriah, guys, is Calvary. It's in Jerusalem. Mount Moriah is where Jesus died on the cross. Isn't that amazing? It's the same place geographically. See, there was more here than Abraham understood. Was there a ram caught in the thicket? Yeah. And, and he slew that lamb as a sacrifice, but many, many, many years in the future, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world would be sacrificed on that very mount. Hmm. Across providence of God. Take your son. The, the point in all this is this is that God tests us. Now, I'll tell you what's happening here. Joseph was tested. Joseph is now being used by God to test his brothers. Now, you know who else is being tested in all of this? Jacob is being tested. He will not give up. Um, I, I talked to someone recently, and they, they have a dream of being married. And one of the statements they made was, I will never give up this dream. It was an interesting statement. And they've had disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Now, you know what's going to happen to them? I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm no prophet, but just biblically, reading the scriptures, you, you know what's probably going to happen? Not probably, you know what is going to happen? God's going to take, because this person loves the Lord and... He's going to take them to a place where he's going to test them to see if they'll be willing to give up that dream. That's what God does with us and dreams. Dreams cannot be number one in our life. Christ has to be number one in our life. What is the prayer that is always answered? Jan Crone says, not my will, but, but thine be done. We have our dreams, and we think we know what's best. But he knows what's best. Sometimes, oftentimes in scriptures, dreams have to die. And then, and then God resurrects. So Joseph is at a crossroads. Uh, Jacob is at a crossroads. He's got his boy Benjamin. There's no way he's letting this kid go. But in the providence of God, God keeps squeezing. And God keeps working. And God keeps painting him into a corner. Now catch, if you would, back in Genesis. Um, give me a second. Thank you very much. I'm glad you've studied this because I obviously haven't. 43.1. Now the famine was severe in the land. That is the providence of God. Right there. And why was there famine? Because of global warming. No, I just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> I was reading a column. George Will wrote a column last week. It was classic. And basically showed that 20 years ago, the media was driving the whole concept that another ice age was coming. 
And he had three quote, I think one from the Washington Post, one from the New York Times, and one from somewhere else. I mean, they were driving it. They were driving it. What happened to the Ice Age? Well, it came in 93, and then it left, and now we're into the warming thing. Anyway, just a little comment. There's no charge for that one. Okay. Now, the famine was severe in the land, and evangelical leaders signed a decree. No, that's, I won't even get into that. I'm sorry, I'm getting cynical here. The famine was severe in the land. Why? Because God runs all things. So it came about when they had finished eating the grain, which they had brought from Egypt, and they had brought Egypt back from uh, Joseph. They had brought grain back from Egypt that they had bought from Joseph. That their father said, go back, buy us a little food. Judah spoke to them saying, the man solemnly warned us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. For the man said, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. Then Israel, or Jacob, said, why did you treat me so badly by telling the man whether you still had another brother? That's a great question. Why do they do that? Because God controls all things. That's why. Because, they, because Joseph quizzed them and they didn't know it was Joseph. But they said the man questioned particularly about us and our relatives saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? So we answered his questions. Could we possibly know that we, he would say, bring your brother down? Judah said to his father Israel, send the lad with me and we will rise and go that we may live and not die. I mean, this is getting dire here. We as well as you and our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever. For if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so. Now here's the death of a dream. If it must be so. Sometimes dreams have to die. The last thing he wanted happened. Then do this. Take some of the best products of the land in your bag. Carry down to the man as a present. He says, you know, take this stuff. Take double the money in your hand. That was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also. Arise, return to the man. And may God Almighty grant you, to, grant you compassion in the sight of the man so that he will reach to you your other brother and Benjamin. But as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So they pick up Benjamin, they take double the money, and they head back to Egypt. 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them. Now that had to be quite a moment. Because you see, now, now Jacob just had the death of a dream. By his dream dying, Joseph just had a dream fulfilled. He, he thought he would never see his brother again. And here he comes. It's quite a moment. You ever had a moment when you couldn't talk? When you, when you got that catch in your throat and, and you, you just had to, you couldn't talk. That's what's going on here. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, <clears throat> he said to his house steward, Bring the men into the house and slay an animal and make ready for the men to dine with me at noon. So the man did as Joseph said and brought the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. They weren't at his office. They're at the house. Well, what, what, what are we doing here? And they said, ah, it's because of the money that was returned in our sacks the first time that we were being brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us 
and take us for slaves with our donkeys. So they came near to Joseph. These guys are freaked. These guys are scared to death. So they came near to Joseph's house steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. And it came about when we came to the lodging place that we opened our sacks, and behold, each man's money was in the mouth of the sack, our money in full. So we have brought it back in our hand. We've also brought down other money in our hand to buy food. We do not, we do not know who put our money in our sacks. He said, Be at ease. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father. This isn't Joseph speaking. This is the house steward. You get a real sense that this house steward had met the God of Joseph, don't you? He said, be at ease, don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Then the men brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water. Now they're going to have this meal. 26, Joseph came home. They brought into the house to him the present which was in their hand and bowed to the ground before him. There it is again. Twice the dreams fulfilled. He asked them about their welfare. Is your old father well of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? Your servant our father is well. He's still alive. They bowed down in homage as he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin. His mother's son, he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. And then Joseph hurried out, for he was deeply stirred over his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. He was crying, he was weeping over the goodness of God. Before, he had cried and wept over the loss in his life. He washed his face, came out, he controlled himself and said, serve the meal. This is wild. Look at 33. Now they were seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth, and the men looked at one another in astonishment. He had them laid out in absolutely chronological birth order. And they looked around at each other and they were freaked out all over again. He took portions to them from his own table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, so they feasted and drank freely. All right, we got to wrap this up. Then he commanded his house steward, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry. Put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. But put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his money for the grain. And they, they, he did as Joseph told him. So the men are heading back. And then Joseph says to his house steward, Go follow him. Go get him. So in verse 6, he overtook them and spoke these words to them. They said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from my servants to do such things. In other words, hey, we're missing the cup. Which one of you guys took the cup? Well, none of us took the cup. We're missing, you know, I mean, and they were defending themselves. In 8, then they say in 9, with whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we will also be my Lord's slaves. So he said, now let it be also according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then they hurried, each man lowered his sack to the ground, each man opened his sack, he searched, beginning with the oldest and then with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And they tore their clothes. And when each man loaded his donkey, they returned to the city. Hey, these guys, it was over. It was over. 
There's a verse that says you can be sure that your sin will find you out. These guys had covered. These guys had hid. They had never told their father the truth. And the hound of heaven was after them. They tore their... What a picture. They were finished. They were doomed. They, They were found... They were... So what they do is... Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. He was still there. They fell to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, what is this deed that you have done? Do you not know that such is a man as I? can indeed practice divination. Once again, he's tweaking them. So Judah said, what can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? How can we justify ourselves? God has, catch this, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. And then he starts to plea on behalf of his father. And Judah in 18 starts to say to Joseph, and he says, don't be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. And then he starts telling him about their old father and about the fact that if Benjamin is is gone, it's going to kill his, you know, all the way through 34. This, this, This was a moment of confession. It was a moment of repentance. It was a moment of incredible Vulnerability, and you get to 45.1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Have everyone go out for me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the house of the Pharaoh heard it. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer. I would have liked to have seen that. Uh, Perhaps they came closer very tentatively. And he said, now catch this. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Uh, By the way, guys, can I tell you something about dysfunctional families? Dysfunctional families don't deal with reality. Functional families deal with reality. If there's sin in the family, say there's sin in the family. Don't ignore it. He didn't say, oh, it was no big deal. I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Now, I want you to catch this next phrase. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. See, we see him as co-regent, as number two to Pharaoh, but in actuality, God had given him such a place of respect that the authority that he had in Pharaoh's life was that of a father. In actuality, Joseph was the most powerful man in Egypt and the most influential man. 
So hurry up and go to my father and go get him. That's an amazing story. And we read it and we rejoice. But uh, as we wrap this up, I want to remind you of the cross providences of God. How many times did it look before this happened that God had the wires crossed? It had, let's just review it. It had to look like God had the wires crossed when his brothers sold him into slavery. It had to look like, let me fix this. It had to look like God had the wires crossed when he was actually on the auction block, the reality of that. And then, as you recall, God blessed him in in Potiphar's house, uh, and God prospered him, and he was promoted so that he ran everything in Potiphar's house. He never would have guessed that he would have had that kind of favor. He should have been dead, and he is in charge of everything. He was a, the Bible says there that he was a successful man. Slaves don't become successful men. But Joseph was successful. He couldn't believe how good God had been to him. But here comes another cross providence. Potiphar's wife. Remember her? Predator? She hits on him one time. She hits on him what? Day after day. Come lie with me. He wouldn't do it. She lies. She accuses him. He's thrown into the dungeon. Has he done anything wrong? No. He's done what's right. Would you not be thinking, there's some wires crossed here? I'm not disobeying. I'm not, I'm not going against it. I'm trying to obey, Lord. But the wires got crossed. Well, by the way, what's, what's happening to Joseph in all this? Joseph is being tested. Tested. So he's in the prison, and now what happens? He's, now he's promoted in the prison, and now he's running the whole prison. Amazing. He's running the whole prison. By the way, why is he running the whole prison? Well, he doesn't know this. But one day he's going to be running the whole nation. So first, see, first he had to run Potiphar's house to get experience. But then he got all the experience he could get there. So now he's got to get to the next level. So to get to the next level, he's got to go to the dungeon. And in the dungeon, now he's promoted. And because there's more responsibility in the prison than there was in Potiphar's house. So he's learning more and getting more equipped for the work ultimately that God has for him to do. But he doesn't know that. So then they throw these two guys in jail. And he interprets their dreams. And he says to the guy going back to work for Pharaoh, don't forget me. And he gets his hopes up. And what does the guy do? He forgets him. How long did he forget him? For two years. Once again, wires got crossed. But did they? No. See, not to us, because we know the story. He didn't know the story. And then after two years of waiting, one night Pharaoh has a dream. And you know the rest of the story. They call Joseph. He interprets the dream. He tells him what's going to happen. Pharaoh says, you're the man. And in 45 minutes, he goes from the lowest place to the highest place. 
Some of you guys are in a place right now, and it appears to you that God has his wires crossed. Here's what you need to remember as you walk out of here. There are many tools in the shed of God's providence. Some are straight. Some are hooked. Some are curved. Some are twisted. But he uses them all for his glory and for his purpose and for his good. And catch this, and for your good. They intended it for evil. God intended it for you, for good. The dreams died, and then the dreams came true. There's a reason this is in the Bible. Is that not true? And what might that reason be? To put encouragement into our hearts tonight. This is pretty good stuff. Don't you think? I'm milking this for all I can get out of it. Because <laughs> it's such good stuff. Let's pray. So Lord, we would say to you that it would be best if we just backed off and acknowledged that you control the whole world. Would you uh, give us a sense of that tonight? And would you settle that for us? Uh, earlier, I, I uh, was asked to pray for Michael, and I forgot to do that. So we pray for Michael. We thank you for his ministry here in the church and uh, for his family and his little kids. He's not only shepherding men here, but he's shepherding his family and and he's in a very hard time with his mother's stroke. We've used something like that. Here's a young woman, and that's across providence to us. It shouldn't happen. <clears throat> but Father, we understand that you have purposes that we don't understand. So we would pray for Michael. We would pray for his mother that she would have a great sense of your presence and that she would live off your promises and trust even when they seem in her life to be haywire. We would pray for him for strength. We would pray that you would give him perspective. Now here's a guy who teaches theology. He knows it so well. Help him to apply his theology in this very hard time. And we pray for those of us in the room that you would do the same for us. Lord, it's so hard to trust when the promises seem to be out of whack. So help us to be reminded that even when things seem to be out of control, they're under control. That's how great a God you are. You're the God who works all things together for good. To those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We live on that. We survive on that. We hang on to that. In Jesus' name we pray.